Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, a conversation with North Carolina's Attorney General, Josh Stein, next. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back to Front Row, Mr. Attorney General. Mark, it's a pleasure to be with you. Great to have you. It's becoming an annual event. Let's start with your investigation, if you don't mind, into Instagram. Yes. Instagram is owned by Facebook, and it's a social networking site that teens use. Tens of millions of American teens use it. And the whole purpose of Instagram is they try to get the kids to use it over and over and over. They try to make it Repeat business. addictive. They want it to be addictive. And what's very troubling about it is that studies show that kids who use Instagram have serious mental health effects. There's depression, anxiety. The, even Instagram's own research shows that one out of three girls, who, teenage girls who use it, have body issues, body image issues. So this is a real problem, and it's why I have joined with a bipartisan group of attorneys general from around Multi-state. the country. Multi-state. Multi-state investigating Instagram to find out what their business model is and what is the effect on America's teens. Well, they're a monopoly, aren't they? they Facebook, Instagram. They, they, uh, they control Twitter. a huge percentage of the social media market as it relates to teenagers. And we are aware of their desire to grow bigger and bigger, to hook kids to the service. And then that has really negative mental health consequences. Well, should they be regulated? They should be regulated. Congress absolutely should step in and regulate these big tech social media sites uh, and I, I mean, I've written letters to Congress urging them to do so. Do you think they have the will to do that? Congress? I, there is bipartisan agreement that these big tech companies are too big and too powerful and have real negative effects on people's lives. Uh, but whether they have the ability to get the ball across the goal line, I'm not sure. It's so partisan up there. I wonder if they can get anything done at and times. I, but I don't even think, I wouldn't blame this on partisanship. I would blame this on power. And those companies have a lot of power. they got a lot of donations too, right? I want to talk to you about another, change gears a little bit. Bring us up to speed on North Carolina's voter ID case. There there are two cases. There's a federal lawsuit against the voter ID law, and there's a state lawsuit against the voter ID law. My job as attorney general is to defend North Carolina law as long as that law is consistent with the U.S. Constitution, and that's what we're doing. And more importantly, the lawyers, the professional staff of the attorney general, the career people who don't pay attention to elections, they are doing their job diligently. And in fact, the federal district court judge and the full Fourth Circuit panel, 15 appellate court judges, said that our office is doing a good job, conscientious, uh, vigorously defending the state's interest. And so it really doesn't matter what my personal political views are on this or other issues. I have a job to do, and that's what the office is doing. Well, but it's in front of the Supreme Court, and, and, and they're intervening to give potentially 
Senator Berger and Tim Moore are saying what happens? That's what they have sought the Supreme Court review to uh, review. We'll see what the Supreme Court does with it. But on the courts that have acted so far, it's been very clear they said that's not necessary because we're doing a good job. Is it premature to say that you'll have to use a voter, uh, an ID to vote in midterms? Uh, I don't know. I'd said that there were two cases. There's the federal case and the state case. The state case, currently, there is an injunction against that requirement. We'll see what the state courts end up doing. Let's move on to talk about the, the negotiation and the settlement you made with opioid manufacturers. Really proud of my office. We helped to lead, along with Tennessee, this 50-state coalition. Again, bipartisan, every AG in the country to hold Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, which was really the, the company that started this whole problem, but all these other drug companies accountable. And we are winning. We've secured resolutions in excess of $30 billion so far. That's the second biggest multi-state achievement. How much of that comes to North Carolina? North Carolina's share is going to be approximately $900 million when you put in all the different agreements together. And what's great about the $900 million and the $30 billion is almost all of it must go to attack the problem of opioid overdoses. Because you and I know the problem is worse today because of COVID than it was two years ago. All the things that are driving so many problems, the isolation, the job loss, the insecurity, the anxiety, the things that COVID created, that's what drives drug use and drug addiction and drug overdose. And so we've seen an incredible spike in overdose deaths. So would that be mean no more Narcon, more programs to get people in rehab? How would that work? The money goes to exactly what you just said, Mark. It can go to keep people, keeping people alive with Narcan and post-overdose response teams. It goes to treating people who have addiction, having them be able to get the health care they need to overcome their substance use disorder. And then it goes to all manner of recovery services support groups, housing that's for people in halfway housing, employment services, things that people need when they've put the addiction behind them, they've now got to be successful in life. And we want to help everyone put this addiction behind them and lead that happy, free life. 75% of these overdoses are... Uh are fentanyl related, correct, sir? Most of them by far right now are fentanyl related. A lot of people began their addiction with the pills and now they're moving to heroin and heroin laced with fentanyl. Fentanyl is a super powerful- well, It's almost in everything, cocaine, everything, right? Yeah, drug users, I mean, drug dealers are lacing marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, they're putting fentanyl in everything. It, it mainly comes from China, but also Mexico. And it's incredibly cheap and insanely deadly. Are they flooding fentanyl through the mail to, to Americans here? They use the mail. They send it through the mail. They also use trucks to bring it in from Mexico. They, it is so cheap, like $5,000 buys you a brick, and then they can make, it only takes a couple grains to add to a, a particular drug delivery. Well, we've seen record fentanyl seizures at the border. Are we doing a good job securing the border in that regard, you think? We're doing the best we can. We can do, maybe not the best we can. We're doing it conscientiously and we need to do a better job of it. Um, but really the, the, the final answer, the ultimate answer to this problem is to help people who are addicted, who every day wake up saying, I need that morphine molecule in my body. We have to liberate them of that. It's They're, destroying it's entire destro communities. Communities, families. It's in every family. I mean, it's in every family, whether you know it or not. And it's heartbreaking because parents are just wondering, is this the day they're going to get the call?
I'm changing topics on you again, man, to talk about another addiction, that's e-cigarettes. Yes. You made an agreement with Juul. Really, again, another thing I'm very proud of my team. North Carolina was the first state in the country to take Juul to court for its role in addicting a new generation of teenagers to nicotine. Juul is this little e-cigarette. It looks like a, a USB drive. And so a lot of parents don't even know what it is. And it charges in your computer like it's a USB drive. It heats up this chemical aerosol that kids inhale deep into their lung. It's, it was flavored. Kids got addicted. We had driven teen smoking from 30% to less than 5% over 20 years. In a matter of three years, it went from 5% back up to 30%, almost all attributable to Juul. Well, we've held them accountable. They are fundamentally changing the way they do business here in North Carolina. They're paying the state $40 million that we can then use to help kids conquer their addiction. Um, I've now launched, uh, broadened the investigation. I'm suing the founders of Juul because they pocketed hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, and they need to be held accountable. And I'm also looking at the companies that are filling the vacuum now that Juul is uh, abiding by the rules of the road. Okay, I want to I talk about a controversy that's been going on for years, a case that's been going on for years, and that's the Leandro case. Yes. Talk to us about that. Well, there is nothing that we do as a state government more important than educating our children. Education is what gives any child in this state the opportunity to achieve their dream, to achieve their potential, to make it however they want, provide for their family. And we have not been doing a good enough job with that, educating our kids. And that's what the lawsuit fundamentally is about. And what we need is to recruit better teachers by paying them more. We need to train teachers so that they're more effective in the classroom. We need to support our educators with counselors and school nurses and social workers so that kids have the skills they need to succeed. We need strong principals in every school. Kids need to come to school in kindergarten ready to read and write and healthy. And that's what pre-kindergarten programs do. And we as a state are falling short on all of those fronts. So the judge has said to the state, you need to spend $1.7 billion, but now there's an appellate court that weighed in, correct? And That's what right. was the result of that? The appellate court said, hold on, we need to review this. And, and my, my office urged the court to issue that stay. Uh, I believe that if the courts do come up with an order, it has to have the support and approval of our North Carolina appellate courts to have the legitimacy uh, that it would require. So is it constitutional, you think, in your view, sir, that a, uh, a judge can tell the state how to spend money, appropriate money? That, that's what the appellate courts need to decide. So, but, but you, generally that falls under the general assembly, correct? So what, what Landro's, some of these folks are basically saying is, general assembly's not doing our job getting the money for education. And, and the, the court, the Supreme Court issued its decision in 2004, and so the state legislature's had 17 years under Democrats and Republicans to get it right, and it has not yet done Likelihood so. Likelihood it goes to the North Carolina Supreme Court? I, I would not be surprised. I expect that's where it'll land. Okay, let's talk about the latest uh, session of the General Assembly. Uh, were you pretty pleased with what they did for law enforcement in some of your programs? Yeah, on the criminal justice side, I think that the legislature did some really positive things, and I appreciate the partnership that my office and our state crime lab has had with the General Assembly in recent years. We had, as a state, more untested sexual assault 
kids than any state in the country a couple of years ago. So my office has developed a, a strategy to attack that backlog, and we're succeeding. We're solving cold cases. Something like 60-some-odd arrests have re been responsible for nearly 90 cases, 90 crimes, because each one of those victims, Mark, deserves justice. And that's what this effort's about. The legislature gave us $9 million, which we believe at the current cost to testing the kits will give us the funds we need to eliminate the backlog once and for all. And then they also gave the state crime lab another eight scientists so we can maintain the current flow of cases so the backlog never develops in North Carolina again. And that's a great victory for public safety. And over a period, we've done a lot on criminal justice reform, correct? Talk to us about that. There was a, a bill called SB 300, and it was a comprehensive criminal justice reform bill. I want to um, so, salute Senator Danny Britt, who was the lead force behind the legislation. Also, Senator Mujtaba Muhammad, uh, a number of people in the House. This was something, again, bipartisan. You know, a lot of people don't realize government can work, and we can work together across party lines to actually get things done. Are we doing done. a pretty good job of that in North Carolina, you think? I think we could always do better. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We could always do better. But it happens, and I think when it happens, we should acknowledge and celebrate it. And this criminal justice reform bill is one of those examples because it will help us recruit better officers into the profession. We'll have better training. There'll be better policies such as um, a duty to intervene if you see a fellow officer acting outside their scope of authority or using excessive force. There's a a quick intervention requirement so that if an officer is doing things not quite right, let's correct that misbehavior early so they can succeed as a law enforcement officer. And then if they can't, then they need to find another job that doesn't have a badge and a gun. And there are accountability provisions in this law that will ensure that officers can't wander from one agency to the next. Well, we are having, we've seen record number of police officers killed this year and shot. I think 314 shot, 58 killed. Mm. I think there's a, a bill in, in uh, uh, up in Congress called Protect and Serve. Are you familiar with that? I'm not familiar with it. Which but... was make it a, a bigger, more of a federal crime to, to kill a police officers. Are we having problems in North Carolina with retention? There are issues with retention. And that was another thing that the legislature did in response to a request in my office which is to fully fund what we call the CJ Fellows Program, Criminal Justice Fellows. It's modeled on the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program, which identifies and recruits talented high schoolers who are leaving and say, hey, if you want to pursue a, a career in law enforcement, go get your two-year degree. We'll lend you the money. And if you serve in law enforcement in North Carolina for four years, we will forgive your loan in its entirety. And the legislature, for the first time, has fully funded that program a hundred new kids every year have the potential to enroll. We're also having problems, aren't we, sir, with uh, retaining correction officers? Yep, and the legislature increased the pay for retention for correction officers, which was critical. As of uh, December 1st, there's some new laws on the books. Talk to us about those. Well, a lot of them on the criminal justice side are the ones I just talked about, this SB 300, that's going to improve recruitment, training, and accountability of law enforcement to raise the professionalism of it. Um, we have a law that uh, raised the age of juvenile jurisdiction. What this means is a six-year-old who, and this actually happened, picked a flower out of somebody's yard on, at a school bus, stopped, got arrested for a misdemeanor. A six-year-old. 
We were the only state in the country that had juvenile jurisdiction as young as six written in our statutory code. Well, the legislature has raised that to 10, with the exception of a few very serious felonies, which it's eight. So that was one law change. Another is we were one of the only states that allowed incarcerated women to be shackled during their pregnancy, and that is now prohibited. But even if you're a juvenile, repeat offenders still have to go to court? If you're a juvenile, you will go to juvenile court. Uh, and yes, I mean, we need to get kids on, on the straight and narrow, and there are ways to do that. I want to circle back to what the General Assembly did. On emergency powers, was that the right thing to do with the, 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 uh, uh, the, what they did with the governor? The legislature has a lot of authority, and they have a, a big job, which is to pass laws and, and appropriate funds. They are very eager to do the work of other governments, whether it's city governments trying to tell them how to do their job, take away power from the governor, take away my authority. They had a provision. What were they trying to do with you? What, what was the, uh, the, uh, the result? The, the result is the law reads that they have to approve of any settlement that my office enters having to do with constitutional matters. Are you going to challenge that? The, the courts will resolve that issue because the legislature has enough to do of its own. They don't need to do my job as well. Should the governor have unlimited emergency powers or should he confer with the Council of State in your view? Well, in some matters, the governor does confer. I mean, I'm on the Council of State and I just had to concur with one of his requests to change the restrictions, requirements on testing requirements for law enforcement with Criminal Justice Standards Commission. So we already have the ability to weigh in on many matters. Let me ask you, what is your view on, uh, this is a little outside your scope, but, but somewhat still in your ballpark, your thoughts on a re redistricting process? For our democracy to, to work, to thrive, the people need to choose who their representatives are. The, the will of the people, the, the consent of the governed must exist. It is backwards to have legislators, representatives choosing their voters, because what happens is it does two things. One is it discriminates against certain voters, saying your vote doesn't count as much based on either your race or your political views, and it locks them into power so that they're no longer accountable to the voters. So would these new districts, in your view, withstand a court challenge? It remains to be seen. The last round of maps, I was gravely concerned with the egregious partisan gerrymander that there was, and I actually filed a brief on behalf of the governor in state court arguing that the state legislative maps violated our state constitution and the courts agreed, forcing the legislature to redraw those maps. There are some conservatives and some uh, Democrats and Republicans, let me say, who think we should have an independent process commission. Do you concur with that? Yes, I, I agree. I, look, th there's not going to be a perfect way to do this, but one thing I am certain is allowing people who have political power use that political power to maintain their political power, that's not healthy for democracy in the long run. Let me ask you, we always talk about this every year, but robocalls, <laughs> we're making progress. We're making progress, but at the same time we make progress, there's always a new challenge. But I, I'm doing everything in my power. One thing that we urged the phone companies to do was implement a technology called stir shaking, and that addresses the problem of spoofing, where the number looks like it's a different number, but it's actually calling from India or wherever. Well, that is now required of the big companies, but not the little companies. 
I led a 51 AG coalition, bipartisan, everyone in the country, to urge the FCC to move that requirement from two years to one years. Uh, I also led a, an effort to, again, 51 AGs, to urge the FCC to make sure that the small companies can't just sell out numbers to these illegal robocallers without doing a little due diligence first. They need to know who their customer is and not turn a blind eye to pocket the money. And the FCC, I think, is going to go forward with that. So we need to, it's constantly a game of cat and mouse. We, we improve our technology, we improve our enforcement, they come up with a new way. But I'm on the job as best I can. And around this time of the year, through Christmas, first of the year, we see a lot of phone scams. Yes. The phone scams, I mean, it, it costs vulnerable people billions of dollars in aggregate a year. I had a woman in Raleigh this year who lost over a million dollars to these criminals. I mean, it, it's cruel. It's callous. Uh, it's annoying to you and me. Don't get me wrong. That's bad, right. too. But they don't exist to annoy us. They exist to steal from vulnerable people. And so uh, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. They can they report that to your website? And what is that? Uh, if you go to my website, ncdoj.gov, I'm sorry, ncdoj.gov slash no robo, we have a form where you can fill out a complaint. And can they call your office? What's that number, sir? 877-5-NO-SCAM. You know, every year we talk about this, and I'm reticent to bring it up, your ongoing efforts to stop sex trafficking in this state. How are we doing? Well, it's a very hard crime to know how we're doing because it's so much in the shadows. So what we try to do is shine a bright light on it, have partnerships with industry like truckers or uh, even massage parlors to make sure that people who exist where this crime occurs, they know where to call. So these posters are How up. How organized is this? And are we seeing the cartels involved in this as well? It, it's definitely organized because we have tools, law enforcement investigative tools, where we can actually track as they move down I-95 from New Jersey through North Carolina to Florida, where they run the same ad as they move people down. And law enforcement is partnering with these nonprofit partners to go after the criminals. You know, people are really worried about energy costs right now. You've been ahead of the curve on price gouging. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, some things are we can control, other things we can't control. And obviously the price of oil is a global commodity. And so it's very difficult to be able to really control it. I commend the president for allowing the release of some of the reserves and the strategic petroleum reserves. To that's try only to, about a two-day fix, right? But I mean, that we got to use whatever tools we have in this imperfect world. And, you know, I, our hope is, is that gas prices come under control as quickly as possible. Well, you know, long term, when we, when we look at this, are, 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 are we having too many mandates and are we putting too much regulation on some of our energy? Um, is there a fine balance there? I mean, the, the energy that we're talking about, say, the, with Duke Energy providing heat, uh, that happens independent of what happens with the gas we put in our cars. So I think it's important to think about what type of energy are we talking about. There is vast potential for more renewable generation here in North Carolina, whether it's solar, wind, onshore or offshore, even using uh, animal feed waste to generate methane to power natural gas. There's Were real we energy independent prior to the Biden administration shutting down some of these pipelines, putting in some of these regulations? We were, yes. And do you think that's wise what he's doing right now, putting more regulations on the oil industry? Well, we want to make sure that we don't have dangerous oil spills that cause all manner of problems. What I don't want 
is that Deepwater Horizon spill that happened in the Gulf to happen off the Outer Banks or happen off Emerald Isle or happen off of But uh, But isn't Oak the Island. pipeline uh, uh, more secure, cleaner, faster? I mean, for to be able to deliver uh, uh, oil to us? Yeah, I mean, the Keystone Pipeline is not within my body of work. Yeah, I know. But we have, there are some pipelines that we had here that, that, that just we, we don't have now. But Well, and, and just to be clear, those were permitted by the state, and my office defended those permits, and the court struck them down. So we did what we could do. Let me ask you, are you concerned about the influx of people who are coming into this country from other countries that are not citizens? Well, I think that immigration helps in some ways as long as it's legal immigration. What we don't want is people just coming across the border. I mean, are you concerned about the people who are, who are the Afghans who are not vetted? Well, I think the Afghans are vetted. Well, I mean, some of them are vetted. But which ones aren't? Well, a lot of those first, a lot of the first came over have not been vetted. Well, they're in the process of being vetted. How do you how do you vet somebody that doesn't have any background? Is, I mean, there's not on a computer though. So, is your point that people should have been left? The, the the people who provided translation services to our soldiers for years, we should have abandoned them. No, to I Afghan? think no. I'm all for that, but well, I'm not exactly sure all those the, people. That no. was what that was what the plan was, and. The, the, we, 125,000 people were evacuated from Afghanistan in a six-week period of time, uh, which was a real accomplishment. And, of course, the, I mean, the 13 lives who died were... Yeah, it was a little messy, I'd have to say. Of course it was messy. I mean, name a time a country has evacuated another country that wasn't. This has really gone fast. <laughs> I always enjoy having you, sir. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. See you next week on Front Row. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities and by Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.